few years ago, during one of Linda's four hospital visits uh, in the last year of her life, a nurse said something that struck me. She said, dying is a part of life. Well, of course that's true, but I, I guess I just never really thought about it that way. I'd always thought of life and death as two very distinct states of being. Of, of course, I recognize dying as a transition from a state of living to a state of dying, but just never really thought of it in the way that she phrased it. Some people, of course, never enter a period where they begin, they recognize that they are beginning the end of their lives, such as those who are killed in accidents or very sudden health problems that may have been going on, but of which they were unaware. But the nurse was right. Dying is a part of life. Now, Albert prayed in his prayer, one day we're going to all rise, and we will. Our bodies will rise. That's what this day is all about. Well, it's part of what this day is about. But unless we're fortunate enough to be here when Jesus returns, our bodies are going to be put in the ground or thrown in the sea or burned up, we're all going to die. And while we all acknowledge that, I don't think most of us really believe it until we're face-to-face -face with death or a loved one is face-to-face -face with death. Who wants to think about death? I don't. I'm sick of it. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. I think that was... Part of what Jesus was crying out about when Lazarus was dead. He hated death and he hated what sin had done. And he cried out, he groaned and wept. But we're forced to consider death, aren't we? All of us are. In fact, we thought about it a lot today already with communion. Next service we're going to be baptizing, which also brings death to our mind. But it's a day on which we think about life, about resurrection. Now, I am barely in the 21st century, but I was getting texts and messages all over the place this morning. Happy Resurrection Day. It's a great day, isn't it? Every Sunday was Resurrection Day. For Linda, and especially on this day, we think about resurrection, and Jesus' resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. If we know Jesus, in fact, we move from an understanding that dying is a part of life to an awareness that dying is really the beginning of real life. Do you think for one minute that Linda or any of your loved ones that have gone in this last year or two are in heaven saying, Jesus, I miss them so much, please let me go back? Hardly. They know what life is. Their focus is on Jesus. And they are experiencing real life. The deaths that we are thinking about today have everything to do with life. When we... Take communion. We remember that Jesus died in our place that we might have eternal life. The baptism in the next service is going to...
The ones who are being baptized are saying to the world, I am dead to myself. I belong to Jesus. And his life is now going to be the one that radiates through me. I've died to my own desires and passions, and I live for him, and he lives through me. And in both cases, death doesn't have the final word. You'll recall last week when we were reading in Acts 2 and Peter (coughs) was preaching there on the day of Pentecost and he said, once Jesus was in the grave, it was impossible that the grave hold him. He was coming out of that grave. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. And today we celebrate the resurrection and we yield our heart to the implications. We yield our hearts to the implications that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a risen Savior, has for our lives. 1 Corinthians 15 is a wonderful chapter. I don't think I've ever preached, I'm not sure that I've ever preached from 1 Corinthians 15 here anyway. 58 verses talk about the resurrection. We're not going to read all of them, but we're going to read a lot. We're going to read 28 verses, and since we've already had so much extra this morning, there's not a lot of time to elaborate. So, so, I want you to allow the truth of these words to sink deep into your hearts as we read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 28. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James... Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Or with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because, when we, because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If... In this life, we have hoped in Christ. We are, of all people, most to be pitied. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, 
we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Let's pray. Well, Lord, uh, we believe increase, deepen, intensify our belief that others may see the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our lives. May they be drawn to Him and may the Word of God go forth from us to a world that needs to hear. Speak to our hearts and change us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. Well, it's obvious from Paul's tone that he's arguing a point here. He, he's defending the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection. It's, it's not surprising that there were a lot of those who, who doubted the resurrection in the Greek or Roman world where many believe that the end of this life is the end of existence. In fact, most educated people scoffed at the notion as as much as they believed in God's, they, they scoffed at the notion that there was life after death. So it's, it's no surprise that Paul encountered this skepticism about the resurrection when he shared the gospel all over the Roman Empire. It's a little surprising, though, isn't it, that he felt so compelled that, or if he felt the need to, to defend the doctrine of the resurrection in the church. I mean, you would think that of all people, these people would believe, and yet he's... He's saying, look, this thing really happened. The resurrection happened. It's real. You need to embrace it and believe it. It is amazing how easily swayed we are when our focus moves from the kingdom of God and His Word to the kingdom of this world. And Christians will buy the spirit of the age, and they'll say, you know, it's just not right for us to do this. It's not right for us to say this or believe that. We don't take our orders from the world. We take them from here, and we get our beliefs from here. The resurrection is not in dispute. If we were to give out a slip of paper and ask whether or not you believe in Jesus' resurrection, I don't think we'd have the same response here as you would have had at Corinth. The percentage would be in the, in the high 90s. Maybe even every single person would say, yes, I believe in the resurrection 
of the, of the dead. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But do we believe? I mean, really? Do we really believe? Jesus' resurrection changes everything. And there are three things from our text I want us to think about this morning. No way I'm going to have time to elaborate on these things. I'm not going to have time to tie it directly to the Scripture. I'm not going to take the time to put the Scripture on the screen, just the points. Maybe you would want to write these down and just think about them later today on this resurrection day, contemplating them later today. First of all, when it comes to Jesus' resurrection, we are in possession of a story that needs to be told. The story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has implications of life and death. And it's not just whether or not you're going to have a long life or not. People go to palm readers and, and, and they tarot cards and all kinds of things. Am I going to live a long time? Well, it's not like that. The implications of life and death here are eternal life or eternal death. If we're convinced that life goes on after death, and Scripture tells us that there are those two possible do- uh, destinations, heaven or hell, eternal life or eternal death, much is at stake when the gospel is told. When the gospel, if the gospel is told. There's a lot at stake, whether it's told or not. My goodness, why isn't it told more? We are celebrating life here today. We give praise for Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Because eternal life is a reality for those who believe. And if we believe this good news, how can we possibly Keep it to ourselves. I was reading this week in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and Paul was saying, you know how I was treated at Philippi. You remember that, don't you? What happened in Philippi? Beat him and threw him in jail, and then said, get out of town the next day. I don't know about you, but I, I think I would have gone home and licked my wounds. You know what Paul did? Went to Thessalonica and preached the gospel with boldness. I'm not sure what our excuse is. I don't know why it is that our, our neighbors and our, our families, our, our co-workers, don't hear about this good news from us. We're in possession of a story, a story with eternal implications. And we sit on it. If we really believe the resurrection, you would think that we would be compelled to share it with those who don't even know, wouldn't you? So let's, let's stop right here and, and just ask God to give us a heart to share the gospel and then the opportunities and the courage to do it. Just bow your heads, if you would, just in your heart. If, if that's your desire, then just ask the Lord to give you that heart the opportunities, and the courage to share this good news with others.
in addition to knowing and possessing a story that needs to be told, because of the resurrection, we have a hope that should inform the way that we think and live. You'll recall that Paul said, if in this life we have hope only in this life, (laughs) then we are of all people to be most pitied. Why? Well, because we would be found to be believing a, a fairy tale. And look at all the suffering Paul had done. For nothing, really. If this life is all there is, if there is no resurrection, then baby, we better make this count. And it really needs to count for me, not for you. See, I'm compelled because of my faith and my belief in Jesus to live my life for others. But if there is no resurrection, if Jesus really did just stay in the ground, then I need to start living for me. But Paul says the resurrection is real. Again, I'm, I'm certain that almost all of you would believe that to be true. We were doomed to eternal destruction because of the sin of Adam, who represented all of us. But because Jesus came and lived a perfect life, kept all of the law perfectly, he was eligible to become a substitute, a sacrifice for our sins. And he tasted death for all of us. When he rose from the dead, we received the promise that Albert referred to this morning that our bodies are going to rise to one day. The promise of the resurrection is real for us, even though our bodies will die unless Jesus comes before we die as a consequence of sin. So since your sins have been forgiven, if you have repented of your sins and and accepted Jesus' death on the cross as payment for your sins, then your desire should be to live for the Lord and to please God with your life. When we live for ourselves and we ignore God's design for living, we recognize He calls us to be kind and compassionate to one another, to abstain from sin, to to love Him in our hearts as much as we do with our lips in our lives and to love others as much as in our hearts as we do with our lips. When we live for ourselves and ignore God's design, what does that say about our belief in the resurrection? Jesus' resurrection ought to change the way that we think and the way that we live. And last of all, his resurrection should help us to understand that we have a father who is worthy of our submission. How many of you want to be in control? Well, that's a ridiculous question, isn't it? We all want to be in control of our lives. I mean, we all do. Now, if we could find another person who really cares about us and has a great deal of resources and an enormous wisdom, someone that we trust completely, well, okay, I'll defer to this person maybe with certain decisions at least in my life. And so we tend to look for someone who fits that description while ignoring completely the fact that God not only meets all of those, but he has all power to boot and he loves us with the perfect love. Verse 28 tells us that even Jesus is submissive to the Father 
one of those things that we've learned in the Trinity, the order of the Trinity, and yet we fight for control of our lives. God the Father planned our salvation before the world began. Before ever the earth was laid, He planned our salvation. It was Him who sent the Son to die in our place. It was the Father who brought Jesus out of the grave, and as He did so, death was conquered. He's the one who saved us, who gave us the assurance of eternal, eternal life, and He's worthy of our submission. And I know that there's something that's out of control in your life today. It's, it's your job or, your, or a lack of a job. Maybe it's your marriage or it's a, another very close relationship that is fractured and it seems to be almost beyond repair. Could be that someone very close to you is very sick or that You just have given up on ever hoping to overcome this particular sin that seems to have a grip on you. You know, interestingly enough, most of our addictive behavior start out anyway as a fight for control. Everything's going wrong in our lives, but here's one area I can control. And then, of course, ultimately that area controls us. If, if the resurrection is true and Jesus is our Savior, then we have a Father who is not only worthy of our submission but is able to bring order and control to our lives. But we've got to let go first. And don't you think it's time to do that? And isn't it time to just let go of that thing that you so desperately want to control, but you have no ability, and yet it doesn't stop you from trying anyway. And you get depressed when it doesn't go like you want it to go. It's time to do that. So, let's do. Resurrection means that we can overcome, but we'll never do it if we're dependent on the one we see in the mirror every morning. We'll never overcome sin, pain, and sorrow on our own. And that's the advantage of trust, of yielding to the Father whose plan it was to bring His Son out of the grave on that very first Easter. So let's close by giving up. Would you please bow your head?